Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. Well, Shane, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Great to, great to see you again. Hey, you too, my friends. Always a joy being with you. So let's just start out letting folks get to know you. Tell us uh, how you came to faith in Jesus and then how you sensed a calling to ministry. Yeah, so uh, grew up in Texas, been in Texas my whole life, uh, grew up outside of Waco, um, and uh, I know it's, for those who live outside of Texas, I know this may be a shock, but grew up in Texas and never went to church. Uh, my parents became Christians when I was 16, and uh, both my mom and dad began to follow Jesus, and so at 16, I prayed a prayer because they did and started going to church, but still n did not know Jesus. Um, and I would say, you know, I would go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, but still living lost, uh, very rebellious and in, in high school and into college. I always say my Trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My Trinity were sports, partying and chasing girls. And yep. then at 21, uh, I was at a college event and uh, I heard a guy preach the gospel. And I don't even remember the whole message. I just remember when that response time came. Uh, that was when the Holy Spirit just opened my heart, opened my eyes, and I realized I was lost. I did not know Jesus. I'd been playing church, and that night, I repented of my sin, truly put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in my life, and uh, never been the same since. You know, not perfect, uh, but everything changed at that point. I uh, started hanging out with the pastor of my church because uh, all my friends were still partying, and I knew I couldn't continue to be around them all the time because I'd fall back into the same old things. And so I uh, started praying for my friends, started sharing the gospel with them. And, and honestly, you know, it was probably in an over-aggressive way. I, I'd call it like ignorance on fire. Uh, I was passionate. God had saved me. I believe he could save anybody. Um, and so just probably over-aggressively, I was telling them they were going to—every day I was, going, I was telling them they were going to hell. And uh, they had—you know, I, just, I was wearing them out. Uh, they, they had thought I'd joined a cult or something, you know, cause, uh, we lived in Waco. So we kind of have that in our history yep. there. And so, uh, yeah. And so over time though, uh, got to see a lot of my friends come to know Jesus. They're serving the Lord, uh, even today and plugged into churches. But, um, yeah, at about 22, uh, my pastor of the church at the time, he just said, uh, Hey, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I really don't know. And he goes, well, why don't you go to Bible college and learn the Bible? Um, until you, you figure it out. And so uh, I moved up to Dallas, started going to Criswell College, then eventually DBU, Dallas Baptist University. And I was a brand new Christian, started Bible college, not because necessarily I felt God called me to ministry, but because my pastor told me to go. Uh, and so I started going to Bible college. And, and really, that's where I was discipled. And after being in Bible college for a little over a year, I really felt the sense of the Lord calling me to ministry, calling me to preach. And I'll never forget this one one weekend I went back home and was talking to my pastor and I said, uh, I think God's calling me to preach. And he goes, well, I've known that for a while. I was just waiting for God to reveal it to you. And wow. I'll never forget this. He says, you're you're up in six weeks uh, oh, because wow. Dr. Gray, this is back when, uh, you know, churches were still doing Sunday morning. And I mean, we were in a small country church. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting. So he goes, you're up in six weeks on a Sunday night. And I'll never forget this. I was nervous. Uh, I was desperate, pleading with the Lord to give me a message and, and for God to speak through me. And I'll never forget this. It was a Sunday night, a small country church out in the middle of nowhere, about 20, 20 to 25 people. I preached Psalm 
23. Uh, it was about 14 minutes long. And I think I said, uh, uh, amen 82 times but with a question mark you know not even an exclamation point it's more of a question right. mark you know when you're looking for affirmation i was like oh, amen this, I, was you're like, saying, I was like the lord is my shepherd amen yeah <laughs> <laughs> so god was so gracious through that but uh yeah and and then just never looked back and then uh was a youth pastor for a long time and then a church planter and lead pastor uh of a church and then served uh, at a state convention in Texas, yeah. the Southern Baptist Texas Convention, and served as their evangelism director for five years, and now been with them for the last two years as the National yes. Next Gen Director. Yeah. So you and I met when you were with the state convention. Jim Richardson was your yep. old boss, and what a, what a great oh, guy yeah. he is, and he, uh, he should brags on yep. brags on you and you on him. So how did you end up in the position that you're in now, and what do you what do you love most about it, Shane? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, just like you said, you know, uh, serving. Uh, as the director of evangelism for the SBTC. And uh, uh, I was serving in that role when you and I met, you know, s several years ago. And uh, like I said, Dr. Richards is a, just still one of my spiritual fathers. And um, so served in that role. But through that, you know, had built a great relationship with Nam and Kevin Azell and, and Johnny Hunt. And I do so much itinerant ministry as well. So when Johnny Hunt was still the senior pastor at First Baptist Woodstock, I'd preach some events for them and preach their their youth beach camp and other uh, young adult events. And so when Pastor Johnny came on to NAM, uh, he goes, hey, man, I really would love for you to come on our, our team here at NAM and really focus on reaching young adults, college students, teenagers with the gospel and and to help churches do that. And he's all, hey, you already got a great relationship with, all, you know, the state convention. So to, you know, partner with them to really reach and mobilize the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I love it. I was just telling somebody yesterday, I don't know if you're supposed to have this much fun in ministry, but I am. I love it. Good. I can't wait to get out of bed every morning. And it is a true, true honor. It's a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you you have a family, you have a wife, and and you had yep. five children. Now you have six children. So tell us about your family <laughs> and and give us a give us a quick glimpse about number six coming into your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my prime, I always say my primary ministry is my family. Everything else is from the overflow of that. So I have a wonderful wife named Casey. We've been married 17 years. So I'm married way, way over my head. Uh, it's just a picture of God's grace in my life. And we, yeah, we now have six kids that are 15 and under. Yes, that is a prayer request. <laughs> so uh, our, our oldest two daughters are biological daughters, 15 and 10. Uh, then we have a, a nine-year-old son adopted from Uganda. Uh, and then we have a six-year-old son and four-year-old daughter adopted from here in Texas. And just last week got back from Liberia where we just adopted uh, Morris, who turned eight today uh, on this Wednesday. As at the time of this record, today's his birthday, so he's eight. And so he's home with us, just got back. We spent the month of February in Liberia adopting him, just got back last week. So now we have six, and we are saying it is finished, brother. We are done. <laughs> yeah, so, no so more. Shane, yeah. The adoption process for Morris was lengthy, but your wife had it prayed was. that he would be with you all by the time he had his eighth eighth birthday. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were in the adoption process over three years. Wow. We've been matched with him over two years. Of course, COVID slowed that way down. Um, and so we have... FaceTimed him for two years for a long time. He's called us mom and dad. We see him as our son. And my wife just, the Lord just laid it on her heart to start praying specifically. And she did. Uh, she started praying specifically, Lord, 
would you either allow us to be in country with him going through the process or have him home here in the States on his birthday? We just want to spend his birthday with him. And she started praying that last year on his birthday when we were not with him yet. And God answered that prayer. Yep. How cool. Well, so yeah. um, before we talk about reaching Gen Z with the gospel, why don't you tell us what Gen Z represents? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. That's a question I get often. And, uh, you know, you could probably read 10 different definitions on the year spans of Gen Z and find 10 different um, years given. Uh, really, the best way to think about it, you know, right here in 2022 at the time of this recording and the way our team sees it as NAM is really those that have just graduated um, college. So that post-grad college students, high school students, junior high students, and older preteen. Okay. So I would say probably anywhere, you know, 10 to 11 up to about 23, 24 or so. Yeah. So Shane, before we talk about like the how-to witnessing methods and and what churches can do, uh, are there any special challenges in sharing the gospel with this particular generation? And if so, what what are those challenges? Yeah, there's a lot of unique challenges, uh, and I always say challenges are opportunities for the gospel. So there are a lot of unique challenges with Gen Z that are different than previous generations. Things that are the same is. At the end of the day, they're sinners in need of, of a savior. And uh, they're people that need community and to be loved and to be valued and to be discipled. But some unique challenges with Generation Z specifically uh, is according to Wall Street Journal that was released last year, a poll, uh, now that Gen Z is getting older and we're getting more data on them as they are teenagers and college students and young adults, um, uh, Wall Street Journal found this that less than 30% of Generation Z says religion is important to them. Uh, so not even Christianity, just religion as a whole, less than 30%. Um, and so, Todd, if that be true, then that would mean this, that statistically speaking, Generation Z is the least religious generation we've ever seen uh, in the history of the United States. Um, however, here, here's a unique uh, opportunity is that same poll said this, that over 80% of Generation Z says living a fulfilled life is very important to them. So that is the threshold of the gospel right there to go, hey, God wants you to live a fulfilled life. You have a creator that wants you to live that. The problem is it's just not going to come from self. It's going to come from someone outside of self. His name is Jesus. Yeah. So try to tap into what already exists and what God's already put in their put in their heart. So um, yeah. Shane, then, then about gospel conversations in particular, primarily one-to-one sharing with a group or with a student, what, uh, what are, how open are students to gospel conversations, and what are some keys, maybe, maybe even do's and don'ts, to having a good gospel conversation with someone in, in Gen Z? Yeah, I love this question. Yeah, so are students open to the gospel? Uh, absolutely. Uh, another poll has showed that still, even though Generation Z is the least religious generation we've ever seen, meaning for the most part, they're probably not going to wake up uh, on a Sunday morning or just kind of at the end of school on a Wednesday and go, you know what, I think I want to start going to church. They're probably not going to do that on their own, meaning church isn't even on their radar. However, they do say this because they are so community driven that uh, over 70 percent says they are open to go into a religious service if a trusted friend invites them. So I want to say, hey, church invitations, invitations to youth groups and collegiate ministries, those still work. So we need to mobilize students to do that. Um, I still believe this the most effective person at reaching a college student 
uh, with the gospel is another college student that has a heart that beats with passion for Jesus. And that same heart is broken over the spiritual lostness of their own generation. Same thing with the teenager. Most effective person reaching a teenager is a, another teenager. So I would say this, like, uh, here's the good news. Uh, the same gospel that has worked for 2000 years still works today. So like you just asked, that's the number one question I get today. Hey, what's the secret of reaching the next generation? And here's the secret. Uh, it's not gonna sell many books. <laughs> it's not gonna blow people's minds, but here's the secret. Uh, there is no secret, uh, but there is the Holy Spirit. There are the scriptures that are always relevant. The, the word of God is living, breathing, breathing, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then the gospel, the gospel that has worked for 2000 years still works today. Um, I think when we are sharing the gospel, I think we got to just keep in mind uh, to stick to the gospel because a generation is open to the gospel. But what they're not open to is uh, agendas. You know what I mean? So if we make our gospel seem like an agenda or if we make our gospel seem political or if we make our gospel seem angry or if we make our gospel, um, you know, seem uh, like all the perceptions they have. Uh, then that's a turnoff. But when we stick to the pure gospel, uh, there's a whole generation that realizes the world is broken. I think they've realized that over the last two years with the pandemic and everything going on in culture, they realize the world's broken and they're looking for hope and answers. And we know this hope has a name. The answer yeah. has a name. It's the name above every name, Jesus. So stick to Jesus. Yeah. And Shane, you're reminding us that the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is already seeking. Yep. This generation, That's right. our, our job is to tap into what the Lord is already doing in the hearts and, and, and lives of people. So uh, That's right. what about what about the, the question of urgency? Why is it important for us to embrace reaching this generation right now? Yeah, I love that urgency question. So we also, uh, at our team at NAM, uh, we did a poll really through my personal Twitter because we had kind of heard this statistic that I'm about to share, but we can never track it down. Uh, we would kind of joke, it'd be, it was like Sasquatch. You know, there was always rumors, but you could never prove it was true. You know what I mean? And so so we had always hear this this uh, statistic, but we could never find the origin of it. So we decided to do it ourselves. So uh, last fall, uh, through my Twitter account, we did this Twitter poll and we asked this question, Todd, we said, Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, at what age did you surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life? And we gave four options, 13 and under, uh, 13 to 18, those teenage years, 18 to 30, those young adult years or 30 plus, uh, we had just shy 2,700 people take that poll. So it's actually 2,694. Um, that's a pretty big polling segment right there. And here's what we found is that when you added the top two together, that it said this, 77% of all Christians surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life before the age of 18. Yeah. Let that set in for a minute. 77% of all Christians surrender to Jesus before the age of 18. If you add the top three together, 95% before the age of 30. Um, so here's what I believe. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God can save whom he wants, when he wants. But practically speaking, if we don't reach a generation by the time they turn 18, and especially in their young adult years, then we lose a whole generation. Um, and you can even think of that evangelistically. You know, often, I think even in our churches, and I know I, I was guilty of this as a, a senior pastor, is often when we think of evangelism or even evangelism training, Often we would think of tools or doing trainings to equip adults how to share the gospel with other adults. Hey, and yes and amen, we need to do that. Adults get saved all the time. Senior adults get saved all the time. We must do that. But if that's the only way we think, 
then that's almost like fishing in 5% of the lake mm -hmm. when 95% of people come to know Jesus in those next gen years. So we always encourage people to say, hey, if you want to see those baptism numbers grow, you want to see a harvest, you want to see people come to know Jesus, then unapologetically go after those kid those kiddos and those teenagers and young adults because that's typically when people come to know jesus so now's the time there is urgency now is the time yeah so shane all all evangelism is is important whether it's one-on-one -on -one or yep. whether it's a group that's someone right. said evangelism is done best in community when we're trying to do it together so let's talk about churches then reaching this generation what are some simple yet potentially impactful things that churches can do or do better to uh, try and reach the next generation Sure. You know, and, you know, there's always those come and see elements, you know, um, I, I believe attractional things still work. I believe evangelistic events still work. Uh, I preach at those week in and week out, you know, you I'm do. currently, yeah, I'm currently preaching on a tour called the winter jam tour, you know, and that's where, you know, uh, usually eight to 10 Christian artists travel around the nation and we'll use that to bring a lot of people together. And then I'm on that tour preaching the gospel. So I believe in the come and see. Um, but I think you also, uh, as a church, got to think of the go and tell. When you go, okay, hey, Gen Z, if we're, we're thinking about them, they're not religious. Many did not grow up in the church. So for the most part, church isn't on their radar. So, you know, we can't sometimes just throw up a church sign, build a building and expect people to come. We're going to have to go to them. So I think one of the most effective things we can do to reach Generation Z as the church is we really got to do Ephesians 4.12. We got to equip the saints for ministry. So the people that are already a part of your ministry, those young adults that are already a part of your ministry, those teenagers that are a part of your ministry, uh, Equip them how to share the gospel. Equip them with an evangelism tool. Whatever that tool works best for your ministry, you got to equip them and send them. Um, and you even think of this, Dr. Gray, you know, especially in the last two years, um, a lot of schools or a lot of campuses are now closed off to people coming in, right? They're closed yeah. off to that youth pastor coming in or that or that college pastor or that BCM director coming in. A lot of things have been closed off. But, you know, who hasn't been closed off to is those students, those mm -hmm. students can be still sent in as missionaries. So we got to equip them. We got to practice Ephesians 4.12. And I really feel young people are ready for it. You know, we don't have to dumb it down. Let's disciple them up. So let's mobilize an army to go and tell. Now, still do the come and see. Still do the attractional, the events. Those still work. I'm here to tell you they still work. I see people yeah. saved every week. But we got to equip our saints to go and tell as well. Yeah. So it's not either or. It's a both and. And so let's, let's talk Amen. just for a second about... When this, when these students reaching students makes perfect makes perfect sense. Um, so let's say when those those students actually show up for a church service or a uh, yep. it, let's think more of a Sunday morning service. What are two or three things that maybe uh, the rest of us need to hear about how we create a warm welcoming environment for those students who begin attending uh, attending churches? What are you know we they might they might wear a hat to the church service. They might not be dressed like others could be. Yeah rest um anything to say there for how the rest of us welcome students in when they attend yeah absolutely and uh i'm just reminded as you are saying that dr gray uh, i actually posted um uh, this tweet several weeks ago and uh, i just said hey if if you're in a church building and it's just loud and seems a little rambunctious because there's young people everywhere, hey, uh, rejoice over that. You know, yeah. and, and I'm not saying people just go crazy or whatever. You know, there's got to be order. But I'm saying, hey, rejoice over that because buildings that are quiet because there's no young people, that silence is deafening. You know what I mean? And so, hey, yeah, I would say. 
Hey, uh, pick your discipleship points. Um, it's not, you know, and I want to encourage you, and I'm so glad you pointed that out. It's not worth discouraging a guest that shows up that maybe has pink hair or a sleeve of tattoos or their hats on, or maybe their pants are hanging a little too low or they are, they got a skateboard on their hip. Hey, yeah. rejoice that they are there, point them to Jesus um, and to disciple them. And I always encourage this, you know, and I feel the pressures too, especially as a parent, even in our discipling, we got to remember uh, the point of discipleship is to help a young person look like more like Jesus and not more like us. Oh, right. Good. So we're not trying to get that person to look like us, wear our hair like us, dress like us. We want that person to look more like Jesus and live more like Jesus. Um, yeah. So that's even the goal of discipleship. Um, but I would say, too, also, I want to encourage pastors that are listening or youth pastors or other leaders that are teachers to go, hey, when young people are in the room, Hey, stick to the word of God. I just want to encourage you with that. Stick to the word of God. Preach the gospel. Don't shy away from doctrine and theology. Um, because one thing I know about Generation Z um, is they've been told self-help jargon their whole life. So I always encourage people with this to go, hey, if you're speaking in front of young people, um, please don't just do like a self-help pep talk with Bible verses sprinkled out of the context. Because when we do that, for lack of a better term, it just sounds like white noise because that's what they hear everywhere else, especially if they go to a public school. Self-help is what they see up and down the hallways of their school, telling them, you know, to follow their heart, believe in themselves. Um, self-help is what they see on social media. Self-help is what they're hearing from their family if they have a non-Christian family. So if they come to church services and they hear the same thing, then it doesn't sound any different to them. However, if they come into our services and they hear the word of God being preached and they hear, you know what, the world is broken. We're broken, but there's a savior named Jesus who loves you and lived the perfect life we could not live, took our place on the cross, overcame the grave through resurrection and through repentance of faith. We can be forgiven and have eternal life and know him. And he is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. And uh, you can have the spirit of God live inside you. Listen, that is something they will not hear anywhere else. So that's another question I get sometimes is like, hey, how do we cut through the white noise? You know, how do we cut through the noise with social media and all the news and everything going on in the world? How do we cut through the noise? I say preach the Bible because that's something that cuts through the noise because they literally will not hear that anywhere else. And what I've found with Generation Z is they value authenticity and honesty so much. So even if they don't agree with what you're saying or even if they don't like what you're saying, they'll respect it because they're going, well, this person is being honest up front and it's not a bait and switch, you know? Good. So I just say, stick to the word, you know, preach the gospel, be honest, be, be authentic with who you are. If you're a church, be the church. And then I was also the last thing I want to share. One thing about Generation Z that I've, I've realized too, is they're not content with just coming and sitting in pews, hearing a message and then being told, hey, you know, sit there and be seen, not heard. Uh, Generation Z, they want to be the church, you know, and I always say this, and I, I've said it to a, a blue in the face, and is that, you know, we always tell them they're the future of the church, and I know what we mean that by that, future leaders, influencers, worker, volunteers, sure, but really, we got to remember, theologically, if they've been bought with the blood of Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit of God. They're not the future of the church. They are the church right now, so give them opportunities to serve now. Give them opportunities to be the church now. Um, give them opportunities to mature in their faith right now. And like I said, don't lower the bar, raise the bar. We don't have to dumb it down. Let's disciple them up. What I found is when we dumb it down um, and treat them like kiddos, then they get bored by that really quick. 
another thing, and I know I'm kind of preaching here, but another thing I found with young adults and college students especially is Generation Z, they're not scared to die young, but they are terrified of boredom. They do not want to be bored. That's the thing they're most afraid of is being bored, you know? So that's cool. So Shane, uh, real quick. So let's, let's take that church that doesn't have any, anyone at all in this generation in attendance. And, but there's a heart with a pastor and a heart with some of their members who say, we, we, we want to reach this next generation bullet points. What are, what's two or three things that church could start doing right now to try and reach Gen Z with the gospel? Yeah. And, and I love that. And I, and I, I have those conversations with leaders all the time and and pastors all the time and volunteer leaders, um, you know, because, um, you know, I think a lot of churches, uh, are really trying to navigate that question. Um, I think one thing, it kind of goes back to what we were saying. Um, sometimes, especially with, uh, teenagers and college students, I always say they like to travel in hordes, meaning sometimes it's going to take a critical mass to kind of reach more of them. So you go, okay, if we don't have five or 10, 15, 20 already, where do we start? Um, and so I think in that, instead of the, you know, the come and see, sometimes it's going to take students to have other students come and see. It's really got to be the go and tell. One of the first things you can do is to say, hey, go where the students are. So as a church, go volunteer at that football game on Friday nights. Hit up that athletic club or that booster club to go, hey, can we work the concession stand? Or, hey, can we volunteer to do the tickets? Or, mm-hmm. or say, hey, what do y'all need from us? Uh, go to that local school and go, hey, no agendas. All we want to do is serve you. Um, what what do y'all need? What does this school need? What are some things we can do? Maybe it's after school tutoring. Maybe it's taking things to the teachers. Uh, maybe it's being crosswalks. Um, I, I tell you what schools are hurting for right now, substitute teachers. Wow. So if you have some people that are bivocational or or maybe, uh, you know, part-time or even retired, hey, get, get your church. If there's people in your church, they can go get certified to be a substitute teacher. Schools are begging for that. And so when you're around students, you'll, be, you'll build up those relationships and say if you're a substitute teacher, go, hey, you know, like and they get to know you and go, hey, I go to this church. Y'all should come visit sometime. You know what I mean? So we're going to have yep. to go until we're going to have to go where they're at. The Little League games, the ball games, substitute teaching, serving the schools. We're really going to have to go where they are. I think a lot of times we want to default and go, hey, we don't have any young people, so let's put on an event to get some young people here. And that's good, and young people may come through the door, but if they don't see other young people that look like themselves or have some friends there, they may not come back again. So we're going to have to go where they are, build up a critical mass almost outside the walls of a building, bring them in, and then we use them as a mobilizing force to go after their friends. Yeah. And Shane, you're implying this and everything you say that it probably starts also on your knees with prayer that this pastor Amen. And, and two or Completely. three key church members, some older seasoned yep. deacons and leaders say, we want we want the next generation here. Let's just begin to beg out to God on what needs to happen. So you've yeah. written this book called yep. Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe. Nine Common Lies Christians Believe. Um, tell us about one of those lies and what can we do to combat it? Yeah, so big picture of the book is that, you know, there's some cultural cliches that we as the church, for lack of a better term, have adopted into our faith, baptized them, and made them a part of our vernacular uh, that aren't necessarily biblically true. Um, And so, you know, the statements like, follow your heart, or believe in yourself, or uh, God won't give you more you can handle, or 
uh, if a loved one dies, God gains another angel, you know? And so all those truths that we share, maybe as well-meaning sentiments, but they're not biblically true. So each chapter takes one of those statements and then a biblical truth, a better truth to move forward with. Um, and it's been a fun book. And I think one of the ones um, that probably stands out the most is the one I closed the book with, which is believe in yourself. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which I think that was the very thing that Satan tempted Eve with. And then ultimately, Adam, is that, you know, it wasn't even eating an apple. First of all, we don't even know if it's an apple. The Bible says fruit. But really, the fruit of the fruit was this is, hey, you don't have to listen to God. Uh, God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. Like So in a sense, the temptation was be your own God. Believe in yourself. Do what you want to do. Uh, this is about you. Um, you be in control. And so really believe in yourself. I think we need to help people realize is that, yeah, hey, I'm not saying that we just kind of slag around. Uh, but I'm saying this, like, believe in yourself. You were not created to believe in yourself. You were created to believe in someone bigger than yourself. And you're actually going to be the best version of yourself that God created you be when you're trusting him and his spirit lives inside of you and you're following King Jesus. So I almost feel like every lie kind of goes back to that believe in yourself, that pride, you trying to be in control, um, you, you trying to be God, you know. Great book, easy to read, a great book to give away to others who might be might be seekers. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it on through Lifeway. All kinds of all kinds yeah. of sources. Mm -hmm. So Shane, you are a featured speaker next week at Kentucky Baptist yeah. Reach Missions and Evangelism yes. Gathering. You're there with Fred Luter and uh, Danny Forshe, Jamal Williams, and, and many others. Why should Kentucky Baptist attend this event? Oh yes, and I'm so honored and excited to be there. Listen, you know. Uh, online things are great. Uh, I love that we're getting to do this. This is a great medium, but I'm telling you, just especially over within, you know, what's taken place the last two years, there's just nothing like getting with peers, uh, worshiping together, uh, hearing the word of God open and, you know, together, uh, being in breakouts together, being able to just kind of compare notes with our, our friends, people that are in ministry doing things that we are other leaders and uh, it's just nothing like being around other people. So I really want to encourage you to come because I believe this, if you come, uh, you're going to be encouraged. Uh, I think you will have a time where you're getting to worship. You're getting to get fed because as a leader, sometimes we're just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. We're not getting poured into. So this is a great event for you pastor, for you leaders uh, to get poured into. And then you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, you're going to see all kind of resources that are available for your ministry and then these breakouts and having discussion. And so, hey, you'll be able to come, learn some things, grab some nuggets of uh, truth, uh, and then maybe meet some new friends in ministry and just be able to network together. It is definitely worth your time, and I'm so excited to be there. Well, I look forward to seeing you and hearing you. So real quickly, what's one thing about you that not many people know? Oh, man. Well, yeah, I would say maybe not— Everybody knows, but if you follow me on social media, you probably know this too, just because it's taught me a lot of suffering. Uh, unfortunately, I am a like head over the heels, massive Miami Dolphins fan, and all <laughs> it has done is just taught me a lot of patience and how to endure suffering and uh, a lot of heartache, you know? <laughs> if you could, I'm if a you huge Dolphins fan. If you could read only one book the rest of your life outside the Bible, what, what book would you choose? Yeah, I'm going to pick the probably the book I've read the most 
uh, Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. And I've probably read that book no less than 15 times. And it is just a blessed kick to the face every time. Yeah, <laughs> an old book, and it's uh, it's been around a long time, and it just keeps getting brought up again and again and uh, yep. and, and again. Yeah, uh, Shane, you know what pastors and church leaders have been through the last two years, what we're going through right now. Uh, what what word of encouragement as we wrap up would you give to Kentucky Baptist? Yeah, this is something that I've just really learned myself over these last two years is to just be reminded that truly, our even as leaders, it's so easy. We're we're good at preaching it, but we're not always best at at practicing it is that our identity truly is in Christ. Our identity is not in our ministry. Our ministry is an overflow of following Jesus. And so I just want to remind you, uh, as uh, the Lord just reminds me and others have reminded me, even in my own life, is that um, before the Lord ever gave us any kind of titles or positions or put our names on business cards or websites or any of those things, he just called us to follow King Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. So let everything you do overflow with uh, from the intimacy of Christ. Um, you know, even Dr. Gray, so great while I go, just said, hey, maybe the first thing we need to do in reaching teenagers is pray. And I agree with that. I even think innovation and ideas and vision comes from intimacy Absolutely. with Christ. So yeah, just remember, walk with the Lord, Focus on the depth of your ministry and let the Lord focus on the width and platform of it. So just serve from the overflow of worshiping King Jesus yourself. Yeah. You can follow Shane Pruitt on, on Twitter. He has a, a blog that's been widely read. He's in uh, on podcast as well. And he'll be in Kentucky, Lord willing, next week at Reach 2022 yeah. at Severance Valley Baptist Church in Elizabethtown. If you're ever questioning where your cooperative program dollars go, here's one of the investment that Southern Baptists have made with cooperative program giving. Shane, you're a blessing to Southern Baptists. You're a blessing to us here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We're grateful for your ministry. I love seeing you preach at these various places and, and draw on the net and watching folks come to faith in Christ. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you, dear friend. So excited to be with y'all next week. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.